Hello, it's Richard Herring here. Welcome to my podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. And my stand-up tour is about to begin. Can I have my ball back? First stand-up tour in six years. Many of you just know me from the podcast. Don't know, I've done 14 or 15 stand-up tours in my own right. I'm a brilliant stand-up comedian. And can I have my ball back? I think it's my best show ever. That's what the audiences are saying. It's about testicular cancer, but it's funny because testicles are funny, even though cancer isn't. Uh, I'm really pleased with it. I'd love you to come and see it. Bring your friends. Some of the shows selling really well. Some of them selling really badly. It's a traditional Richard Herring tour. But here's where I'm going to be. 2nd of May, Thursday at the Luton Hat Factory. It's a small venue, but there are still tickets left. 3rd of May, I'm at the Berry Hedge End, which is near Southampton. That's looking more full, but still some availability. 8th of May, I'm at the Leicester Square Theatre. There's about 10 tickets left for that one, though I am back at the Leicester Square Theatre in June. And then I'm at St Albans on the 9th, Gloucester on the 10th. Chorley Little Theatre on the 11th, that's sold out, but you can join the waiting list. And then the 12th of May, I'm at Glasgow, afternoon show sold out. Evening show, extra show, put on, still with tickets. And then there's lots more. Go to richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs. And now enjoy whatever podcast I've given you. It's free. It's all for you. If you want to pay me back, buy a book, come and see a show. That's all I've got to say to you. Love you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to another book club. This week we are joined by Dr. Yeah, mm-hmm, Dean yes. Burnett, who's written a fabulous book. Oh, he's written many fabulous books, but the book we're going to talk about mainly is called Emotional Ignorance, Lost and Found in the science of emotion. Hello, Dr. Burnett. I'm going to Hello, call you out of Richard respect. Hello, Richard Herring. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I call you Dean? Can I call you Please Dr. Do. Dean? Yes. Can I call you Dr. Yes, Dean? I, you can call me any variation you like. I don't <laughs> okay. insist on the doctor, even though I spent five years getting the title. I got to go, nah, don't like that. <laughs> Sounds weird. And just completely so, uh, sorted off. Good. Well, for people who um, may not be aware of your work and who you are, do you mm. want to give us a brief summation of who you are? Yes, yes, I'm uh, it's like Dr. Dean Burnett. I am on paper a uh, doctor of neuroscience. Uh, I got my degree in uh, Cardiff University and my postgraduate because, you know, Welsh, don't go far. And I <laughs> uh, spent quite a long time after that uh, lecturing on a uh, postgraduate psychiatry program as my job to teach all about mental health and the science thereof. But uh, whilst I was doing my PhD, I also got a bit involved in uh, the stand up comedy scene. 
and um, uh, sort of sort of write material, and I found that quite enjoyable. And then started blogging, trying to do funny things about science because people kept telling me I you can't do that. So I thought, well, yeah, I can. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> and uh, then sort of like got a bit of a niche following. Uh, did some stuff for the Guardian, became part of their blog network, uh, became the most popular part of their blog network. Got approached by an agent uh, saying, "You ever thought of writing a book?" Which I had in the context of. You know, I thought about owning a jetpack one day. That'd be nice. Not going to happen. <laughs> Let's never speak of it again. And um, so I ended up writing a book, went uh, orders of magnitude better than anyone expected. And now that's my full-time job, um, full-time author now. So that also a bit of a go-to pundit for anything in the news people want to explain about mental health or brains. So yeah. I get around in a very strange sort of way. That's good. So tell us a little bit about your previous books. What, what, you've, you've done a, a few, two or yes. three more? Uh, this, uh, the current one is my fifth one. So, fifth um, one, right. first book is the Idiot Brain, uh, which like they said you want to write a book, and I thought, well, like, I don't know if I can. Um, the point, the reason, sort of the main ethos behind that one was that I'd read a lot of brain books uh, for like, reviewing for magazines or just out of interest, and there's always a certain sort of reverence around the human brain, as in like oh, the brain is marvelous, fantastic. It's beyond our understanding. Don't look directly at it; you'll go blind. It's so brilliant, <laughs> and that sort of attitude, but. As a neuroscientist, I never sort of, <laughs> I didn't have that. Um, I had it at first, but the, as soon as you start studying the brain, you start realizing how incredibly messy and disorganized and <laughs> counterintuitive it is. And I thought that was, you know, um, I, th- I thought you weren't allowed to say stuff like that. But uh, they, my publisher said, there's no rule about that. So I did. I wrote a book about all the stuff the brain does, which is wrong or bad or unhelpful or just weird. And that seemed to be um, something people wanted to hear about, hence the, the first book. <laughs> Like 30, 32 countries. I literally today, just now, I just got my uh, the, the, the Taiwanese version through. That wow. was, uh, I was like, I didn't know that was coming, but there it, it turned up again. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, but that that book, I wanted to sort of, I thought, I assumed my literary career would be a case of, okay, so these people, I've got this blog, people seem to like, um, they asked me to do a book, I'll write the book. Eventually, enough people who um, read my blog might buy a copy, it'll break even, and we'll never speak of it again. That was how I assumed my writing career would go but no it um yeah went off the off the map in terms of uh, uh success and then they said what's the second book and i was like uh, uh but pardon second book <laughs> no no one mentioned a second book but that was um and it'd been a happy brain and then i got approached to do a couple other books one is a kid's book my third book um why your parents are driving you up the wall and what to do about it sort of like explaining the parent-teen conflict from the teen's perspective sure and there was a psychological about the science of mental health all stuff i learned in um uh, like the postgraduate psychiatry teaching and things like that. And now I've got emotional ignorance about uh, emotional experiences and why they happen, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this this book, I mean, it's sort of quite 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 an interesting genesis. It wasn't the book, I mean, and, and you know, interesting and uh, unfortunately tragic genesis mm. in that it's it wasn't the book you were intending to write. Can you can no. you tell us a little bit about how this book came about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the origin story, um, <clears throat> the original spark is really quite... Um, quite sort of almost embarrassing in terms of like if you read it, a lot of mainstream science books they usually start with something uh profound or like the someone has an epiphany which leads to this incredible journey and it's usually someone somewhere quite exotic uh the opening chapter is always like uh, some the author saying as i was stood there in the middle of the amazon rainforest watching the <laughs> juvenile capybaras frolic in the in the lush undergrowth and i became at one with life and nature and our place in the universe i Ended up wondering, bollards, what's that about? You know, is it something, <laughs> something like that? But um, I was actually uh, sat in my student house watching uh, Fear Factor, the American show, watching someone eat 
like several inches of raw horse intestine. <laughs> and that was, it took me as odd because that's, that's disgust. That's not fear. It's a different thing. And I'm thinking that's, people should, you know, people would normally pick up on that. They would be annoyed that this is completely violating the format, but no one seemed to register it. And that was the first spark of me thinking, I don't think people understand emotions as well as we think we do. Yeah. Come to many years later on, I did um, a book with Happy Brain, all about what makes us happy. And one of the questions I kept getting was, you wrote this book about happiness. Why not any other emotion? Which is, you know, I, I, I know they were just curious, but it's quite a backhanded <laughs> insult, really. It's like, you wrote this book. Why don't you write a different book? Try <laughs> 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 to enjoy it. But, um, but yeah, there was a lot of questions about emotions. So I thought there clearly is a, uh, an interest out there for you know, the science of emotions, how they work. So I pitched that as my next book. So I'll just write about all of them. And I assumed it would be like the idiot brain, like a more fun, lighthearted, you know, go through all the different emotions, your fear, anger, sadness and stuff, and explain some funny examples of how they work. And yeah, we shook hands, agreed on that. And I sat down to write it. And it was, um, I, I, I had assumed, based on what I've been led to believe previously, that uh, the science of emotions was well established and very, um, uh, very, very well known. Like we'd moved on from there because it was one of the first things neuroscience dealt with. And then you know, we're doing tricky stuff like memory and perception and thinking and stuff. But um, no, science of emotions incredibly complex, incredibly uh, poorly understood and hotly debated. So my whole idea for a book about the, the basics of emotions explained in an easy way was not going to happen. Unless <laughs> I wanted to lie, which um, <laughs> I really shouldn't do that. So um, yeah, so the whole plot got derailed from that point. Yeah. And and then it, the book sort of changed. I mean, it, the, it, it's still entertaining and there's still a lot of funny stuff in there. But it's it, it, uh, due to personal circumstances, uh, it, you, you had a kind of a very sort of... Uh, hmm tragic into this as well and that your your father uh, died during the covid uh, mm. yes pandemic. yeah he, um, he uh so he fell with covid at the very start of the pandemic and uh, no, totally out of the blue he's only 58 we didn't have any prior health issues um, apart from having a gallbladder removed once but that's you know that's that's one of those just things that happens occasionally so um yeah didn't you know no one saw it coming i was actually quite I was looking forward to the pandemic, but I felt I was well suited to ride it out nicely because I've you know, yeah. been working from home since 2018, like a, like a, like a little hipster or something. <laughs> and, um, you know, people weren't going to stop buying books. If anything, the, the odds are it was going to go up and people wanted to know about the mental health consequences of lockdown. So I was primed to be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, this is going to serve me as well as anyone. Um, but then sort of lost my father in the first month of the pandemic and I had to uh, experience that in the in the hardest, most strict part of lockdown like no one coming to help no one being able to you know, discomfort you no one taking the pressure off your shoulders um with two small kids at home like obviously depended on me because uh, they, they had no one else at the moment apart my wife obviously and um yeah no options to to grieve to yeah to process it as people would normally do you know even a much more restricted funeral no you know can't hang with your friends you couldn't even go drown my sorrows in the pub, which is not a healthy response, but it's an option. So I couldn't sure. even do that. You know, um, so all I, all I had was a head full of emotions, powerful emotions and a, a contract to write a book about emotions. So yeah. it was quite a, so logically I should, I should do something <laughs> with this, uh, yeah. this uh, overlap of, uh, <laughs> of factors. And um, that's what the book ended up being. It ended up being my, essentially my grief journal, but my self, you know, exploring, all these things going on in my head right now. Why, why are these happening? What's what's the benefit of this in the evolutionary sense? Why is my brain reacting in this way 
to this loss? Is it a point to this? You know, what's what's the underlying purpose? And yeah, found out lots of different things which were um, quite quite telling, I think. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, it's very it is interesting to see. You know, I mean, it's it's obviously uh, uh, tragic, and it's uh, hmm. you know it would be a lot better if it hadn't happened. But it, it did give you a very interesting perspective. I think certainly in that that sort of the initial point of it is that you sort of feel you're not you're not reacting emotionally as you would expect yourself mm. to do you know you're not crying at the funeral or, 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 or I mean there's various things so that's I mean that's immediately from the from the book's point of view it's sort of going oh so emotions don't work in this in this mm. kind of prescribed this prescribed way so it, it is it's a it's a very I mean it's very engaging and uh, upsetting but interesting start point to the to the book yeah yeah well it's written almost like in real time really so i would yeah. you know, started writing it uh you know the early parts when my father was just really ill he hadn't passed yet but no i was like in that very tense frustrated impotent state of i am worried i am panicked but i'm also completely utterly helpless to do anything about it and that causes a whole a whole you know, whole unique emotional experience. So I thought, well, I'll channel that. I'll write about this in case it comes in handy. And it goes sort of, you know, chapter by chapter goes, um, you know, if first of him being really unwell, then it looks like he is going to pass and he does die. And then dealing with that and then revisiting that later. So, yeah, I try to make it as, um, you know, authentic as possible. Because I was yeah. like, I've got, you know, I'm in this emotional state right now. Theoretically, I know in a year's time, I'll be in a different headspace. So I think it's important to get this on, you know, Inviting now while it's happening, so I can uh, at least then I can look back and say, "Ah, oh, that's what I was feeling, and that's why." And yeah, so I think that was um, yeah, but so emotions really sort of complicated. I think that's one of the main things of the book, in that we expect these things to happen in this way, and they rarely ever do. Uh, it's just like uh, the cultural assumption, uh, which is which I learned is uh, often, you know, if if not wildly oversimplified, just basically wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting from a writing point of view, and I, I suppose I've, I've been through something um, broadly speaking similar, though uh, I, I can't claim mm. it's in the, the same. Uh, the, in lockdown, I had testicular cancer, and and I exactly, found, yes. uh, yeah. and I had to go through all of that, and you know, I had to worry about my own whether I was going to survive or not, um, and so I had all those emotions and reacted emotionally in in, in different ways as well. But equally, mm. I found. Uh, you know, I re- that year I just really threw myself into getting fit and writing the mm. writing about it and getting getting everything down. And it was very therapeutic to do that. And in fact, by the time I came to write the book, it actually probably it probably kind of I was actually at a point where I actually now I'm I'm <laughs> I'm actually have some understanding of what's happened to me, and it's a, a bit harder to write the book than it might have been if I'd done it at the time. Um, but it's because totally. it's a slightly different thing. But it was, uh, but I, it did strike me that you sort of you threw yourself into into your work as your re- only real option. But that that mm. was clear in this whole book. I think it's very helpful for anyone who's been through any emotional thing because you'll learn all about your emotions. But certainly anything like that, it will make you think about why you reacted and how you reacted and <clears throat> and how everyone reacts differently to to things. But it, but it's the, the I guess it's the, what I'm getting at is the is the therapy that comes from writing, which doesn't have to be someone writing mm. a, a, bug, a book that's going to be published, but that, that was oh, yeah, helpful. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think it's when you articulate things. I mean, that's yeah. one, one of the main things I found from the research, but also one of the points I do try and get across when everyone asks me about it is that it's really important to understand that the, the parts of your brain which produce your emotions are also the same parts your brain uses to 
deal with them, to process them. So it's when you sort of bottle them up and shut them down or suppress them, you're essentially setting up a blockage in, in, the, in the way it works through things. So that's why it's important to actually not shut yourself off from these negative emotions. Which is like, sure. well, a lot, of, a lot of men do that. And it's extremely unhealthy. Um, but also, like I think I mentioned, you mentioned just now, I didn't cry at the funeral, only late that night. And that I know, I mean, based on my own education, my experiences, my my research, everything, I know that it's not unhealthy to cry uh, at a funeral or in a very sad event. It's the saddest day in my life. I would every right to cry. No one would have judged me. But the, the cultural sort of influence of saying, no, don't do that. You must be stoic. You must be man. You must be firm and strong, like, like your dad would have wanted. And that sort of went in a lot deeper than I'd realized. So I was yeah. like, okay, I'm, I, I, it's almost like, you know, it's like when, you, when you, know, you, you want to sneeze, but you can't. It was like that word <laughs> crying. It's like, yeah. come on, come on. It's, yeah. like, I, I know full well this is necessary and it's going to happen, but why is it not happening now? And it was so weird to experience that, even though I theoretically know it's wrong. But subconsciously, I seem to have really deeply you know, integrated that message. And um, so trying to get that out there was you know, it's an important important aspect of getting this book uh, promoted as best I can. Yeah, of course. And I, you know, and I think it just, I hadn't really thought about this subject, which, you know, as you say, it's not been properly studied, really. And there's no, <laughs> there's no like, consensus on, on why emotions are there and what they're for. Yeah. But, it, you know, you re- I think, like, the way you, the first time you talk about uh, data from Star Trek and how he's <laughs> sort of this uh, emotionless, very logical, super, you know, being but that actually without emotions without any emotions you know people or or a, or a robot would be nothing really there's that it's so much uh, our emotions are so much a part of what makes us us oh, certainly what makes yeah. us human and you don't mm. really think about it but if you had no you know if you could say i'm going to cut off all emotion and i'm not going to show any emotion you wouldn't actually you talk about um, it, asking Data what flavor ice cream he would like, and he would have no preference because it wouldn't make mm. any sense to him. But when you take, when you think about that, when you think about the, an emotionless being of any kind, mm. I guess even including animals, it would be, it, you know, it would be a sort of uh, a void, really, rather than rather than something yeah. to be to want. Yeah, totally. If you, um, no, there's so many people online again, usually guys, but not always, who say like, oh, I only think with emotions. I only use reason and logic. Because well, you don't. You are, you know, <laughs> that's impossible to do for a human brain. We just have too much, uh, you know, emotions too heavily embedded in everything we do. And I, you know, I think you look at it sort of completely logically. Um, pure logic and reason quickly leads to sort of a nihilistic tendency. And like I mentioned, now uh, scientists are supposed to be these logical, cold beings, but. Science as a career isn't easy. It's really hard. You know, you have to be, you have to work really hard to get at it. It's not the most financially rewarding. It's really uncertain because you have to chase the grants here and there. You can spend years doing one experiment and it comes, ends up being proving nothing. So the only, you know, logically, if you, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> That's a totally daft way to live your life. But scientists do it because they care. They, they want to do it. It means they are emotionally invested. So scientists can be the most emotional people. And sure. Yeah, this idea that you can only you know, you must only function with reason and logic. It isn't how we work. We can't do it. It's not it's not what we are. And um yeah, so like the you know, evoking data from Star Trek was a, an obvious example of famous character who doesn't have emotions. But yeah, the um I think one thing I read which is which I put in the book that I was really quite sort of oh my god, of course, is that the reason we think logically in the first place, we put so much emphasis on logic and reason is because when we do it, we like it. We feel good about Thinking logic, you know, using logic and reason, which ego is an emotional reaction. So, yes. <laughs> without emotions, you wouldn't be logical. It's like a 
one of those chicken and egg situations, but in, in, in your brain. Yeah, and I think, I, I, no, it's, it's fascinating. And I think also I'd never really considered like how instinctive emotions are. So a lot of it's like almost beyond our control, but also that's obviously where they, where the idea of emotion started was just as a, as a, as an instinct really within whatever was the first mm. creature that, that was, was able to to feel something in that way. It's, it, it's, it's a way of, uh, you know, each each thing gives a is some kind of benefit, even when it's a negative emotion. There's there's some hmm. there's some reason why that's developed in us. But it, so, can you tell us a little bit about how you perceive emotion started up and why it started up? Yeah, the um, the main sort of uh, I think I don't. It's obviously impossible to prove because yeah. it, it happened quite some time ago. But uh, I think people are genuinely assumed or agreed that the first emotion to evolve would have been fear. Because of all the emotions, like it's the one which keeps you alive. So, you no, know, you think of the most primitive life forms. Like, sense something. Is it dangerous? Yes. Right. Run. And then that's, that's 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 that keeps you alive. Therefore, your genes propagate. And um, I think it, one part of the book I do really explore, which I which I find really fascinating, the link between emotion, memory, and smell. Yeah. Because it all comes like from the the very very dawn of life. You think of the very earliest life forms, like sort of sort of tiny blobs of cells in the primordial soup, whatever. We're talking just complex bundles of chemicals in a complex chemical environment. So the only thing you can really sense, which tells you anything, is the chemicals in the world around you. And what is that, if not smell? You know, it's detecting a change in the chemicals around you. So you can sense something, but then once you've got this primitive brain which can take in information, it's going to do something with that. It's going to be able to store it. And it's going to be able to respond to it. And therefore, you get smell being linked to memory formation and uh, emotional reactions. So like emo- crude emotion saying, that bad, leave bad thing, go. And then your memory says, like, remember bad thing for next time. And you can see in the modern brain now, like the, the current human brain, smell and emotion and memory are far more physically intertwined in the more fundamental parts of the brain than other senses, even though sight and sound are more are more dominant senses and they're more bigger parts of the brain dedicated to them the sensory information which goes into our like um <clears throat> it goes through our optic nerve into our occipital lobe like the visual processing centers that gets shunted through the thalamus like the big hub of information in the middle of the brain whereas smell information skips all that just goes straight into the memory and the motion centers and gives us a much more strong memories that's why smells can be so evocative so emotionally provocative uh, provocative and trigger such powerful memories because they have a sort of a vip pass into the memory system because one theory is that they were the first to evolve and the brain and uh, meant smell emotional memory evolved in lockstep so that's why we have this um you know deep powerful response to familiar smells and things sure and yeah so that's uh, that's one interesting aspect of that i've always thought yeah no it's 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 really fascinating and then the more you know then then we obviously it all builds up as we become more Mm. kind of complex beings ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was I also found, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this book. It's a, it's a, there's a, it's it's dense, a chunky, it's, it's a chunky book. I was saying compared to David Baddiel's book, it's, uh, <laughs> you put some work in like Baddiel's written mm. like an essay and you've written this uh, incredible, <laughs> incredible detailed, yeah. uh, I prefer Baddiel because it's easier but if you're between the two of you you've written two average length books so that's fine uh no it's it, there's so much in there that we can't def- obviously and i don't want to talk about it all because i want people to read the book but i th- I'm thinking of my own experiences as well i kind of the the way that other people's emotions can sort of hop between each other like you know it, 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 i think maybe you talk about this or maybe this was me thinking about in the way like a shoal of fish or birds all move mm. to, together that the actions of of the emotions work like that and I was I was at a, a funeral where I wasn't I mean I wasn't expecting not to cry it was of a, a friend of mine but mm. I did I wasn't crying but then the, there was like a palpable and it felt like a wave going through the the congregation or whatever you call the people the, the the mourners at the funeral and I could almost sense it approaching and it hit me and then I was absolutely like weeping sort of beyond Mm. my control absolutely instinctively and I kind of experienced that that feeling where the empathy shoots through the room and everyone sort of feels the same thing but I was I was absolutely destroyed I was absolutely crying my Mm. eyes out uh and and that that's something you talk about this sort of the way that we can sort of unconsciously sort of influence each other yeah that's um it's emotional contagion uh it's it's related to empathy because empathy is like a big part of emotion which like way more than i realized before i started writing is like like it's sharing it it's not just about experiencing emotion it's broadcasting it to our fellow our fellows mm. and we so much of our brain is attuned to and dedicated to and has evolved to detect these signals and experience them ourselves it's such a incredibly complex system you know, people like think mind reading is like one of those sci-fi powers but we we're pretty good at it you know we're actually pretty good at it on an instinctive level don't know we're doing it it's just that we detect other people's emotions rather well and experience them ourselves but when you have that and if you don't know what the source is um normally you're talking to one person and you can see the, the expressions their stance their tone you pick up oh this is a sad person i am sad for them but when it's like you're like say in a, in a room full of people who are all feeling the same thing and you don't know where it's coming from, but you know, it's because there's so many people doing it at once. 
that's emotional contagion. It just like leaks leaks over onto onto you. You're picking up the vibe. Yeah. So like, I mentioned the funeral example that you can go to a funeral of someone you don't know, have no emotional connection with, because you're there to support someone else. But you will feel sad because you know, everyone in the room is sad and you can't avoid that. Or obviously, you know this better than anyone, but um, you know, at a comedy gig, uh, there's a lot of stats show that if you're in a crowd of people, you're like 30 times more likely to laugh yeah. at uh, whatever. You know, even if you look at the exact same thing, like you could, whether you're in a gig or watching later on DVD, you're far more likely to laugh when you're around people because other people are laughing too and laughing in such a social emotion, such an you know, expressive one. Uh, you just you, know, you can't help but get caught up in the room. Like I've been in gigs where like the comedian himself, I, he's all right. You know, I think <laughs> not my particular thing, but I'm laughing because yeah. uh, other people are just getting really caught up in it, and you just get you get you get swept up in it in that way. And um, yeah, yeah th- that's not, interesting. Yeah. In fact, because like it, it is in a comedy gig when it's going well, and believe me, it's not always <laughs> the time with my gigs that doesn't happen that much. But but the contagion again, you can often on stage feel. Like again, a wave going through the audience, so you can you can feel the laugh going backwards and forwards mm. as 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 the contagion happens, and you get that in big rooms. And I've played somewhere like the Apollo, you really get this roll that comes forwards and back like a tide. Uh, that is is obviously people influencing each other around each other, which is sort of again is when you stop mm. and think about it, it's such a it's such a bizarre thing yeah, to happen. Totally, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It sort of works in music too, but one is we like music is like to emotional contagion because you can be in a situation where you're uh, having a good time, experiencing a positive emotion, and if there's background music, uh, you know, you might not even be consciously aware of it, but if it's there, then your brain will go, "Oh, I had good feelings now. That music was there. I like that music." And yeah. um, even if you don't want to like it, you know, because I, I think, I think in the book I, I, I sort of go on a weirdly unexpected defense of the Venger Boys, which is yes. <laughs> atypical in in usual science books. But um, but yeah, because they were you know they were just constantly playing, doing my more you know enjoyable parts of my teenage years in the summertime yeah. when you know, all that Europop was going on. So I have this weird fondness for the Venger Boys, even though I'm objectively aware that it's absolute pap. You know, there's well, but again, I found this interesting because this is something that I, that I experienced as well, but you talked that I, this is one of the things I wanted to write down that I forgot to write down, but now I'm luckily <laughs> mm, is that you uh, aren't that into music. So you don't like some people come and remember a gig and have a massive emotional response to music. Mm. And I think like you, I mean, I'd like music and it's okay, but it's not a massive deal in my life at all. I don't yeah. really understand I don't. Well, I do. I understand it, but I don't get the same emotional yeah. reaction. I can't relate to so, people who say like oh, this album is the most profound thing I've ever listened to. Or like, yeah, yeah sounds nice. That's that's my like. I think I mentioned. It. I'm not with music. I'm like wine. Yep, there's white, there's red, there's pink. I don't mind any of those. You know, <laughs> I don't have. Like, I don't sniff it round. I don't have a collection. I just, uh, yep, yeah, give it to me. I'll enjoy it. But um, yeah. I don't have this deep emotional connection. Most so most people seem to have. You yeah. Know. So that's it. So why do I mean I've you know I've I've been again through lockdown. I discovered that I have aphantasia, so I can't produce. I can dream, but I don't produce mental images. Mm. And I wondered if that you know when and it feels like uh, a loss. Now I know I've got it, and it feels <laughs> like a, it feels like a, I don't want to say a disability because that's not right. But let's let use that as a broad term. It's not. It's, it's clearly not mm. the same. Um, but it feels, you know, it feels like a, now I know it's that I that I don't have the thing that someone else has. If and I wonder, you know, when when you have a part of the human experience that most people experience, uh, and I've got music as well to add to that. Uh, they may maybe it's connected. Um, mm. Is there a reason 
why you know someone like you and I doesn't don't like music, or is there a reason why that that some people don't get visual visual images in their inside their heads? Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have you know the the brain. Everyone's individual brain is wildly different and unique. I mean, like the example I've used in. I don't think it's in this book, but if you think that you know everyone has their own set of fingerprints, which is like a few patterns of some lines on a bit of skin, consider that we have like a hundred billion neurons to connect in a unique way. Our brains are going to be even more unique. So some people will just develop in a way which means they don't have this thing, or it's not as powerful, or it's not as yeah. um, present in their life. Um, the, regarding the music thing, for me, I you know whilst writing, I was trying to extrapolate why why don't because all my family love music. You know, they're all <laughs> really musical, and it's like. Again, that's one of the reasons I got into brains in the first place. I think because I was a very different child compared to the rest of my family and friends. I came from the South Wales Valleys, where my father was a landlord of a pub. You know, grew up in that sort of environment, and everyone like sports, drinking, carousing, <laughs> loudness, raw singing. Like my family back home are known as the Von Craps because they <laughs> sing constantly on our despite constant requests not to, which is a <laughs> which is a, a very you know, informative thing. But I never had that, so I. Thought like, well, I'm weird. Why? Why am I like this? And I got me into, you know, reading about brains and something wrong with my brain. I never found an answer, but I did get an interest. So here we are, like 35 years later. Yeah. And um, but I think you know, I one thing I sort of explanation I did come up with was that I was my uh, until I was like two or three, uh, just me and my parents in a tiny terraced house in the South Wales Valley. It's very quiet, very subdued, very sort of you no. Know, um, cozy little environment and then I, I remember like being very young on like my father's shoulders going into this pub we're going to live in this massive big drafty building and suddenly my life is full of strangers and breezy and you know big open spaces and scary old buildings and full of people with uh, you know, and music was constantly playing so I think yeah. maybe at a young age I thought oh music means big scary change don't don't like that and right. um so just tip me in that direction a bit too far perhaps so um yeah. Yeah, I don't just like music but I don't have this the passion for it that sort of most people seem to other people seem to have. Yeah, and it, but it's sort of you know it, as you say that is that's the human experience we've got. Diff, you know, like conversely, I like going on stage and performing mm. in front of people, which most people wouldn't want. So obviously, it's uh, and I don't mind singing and I don't mind you know I don't mind performing music. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting how how different we are uh, and how say how similar we are. I and mean, you, you do mm. do some work in trying to destroy. Uh, the comedy community in uh, <laughs> which is which I don't mind because this is something that I've always thought anyway that uh, that men and women perhaps are not as uh, different <laughs> as as comedy and and the newspapers and the world would would make yeah. you think in terms of their brains at least and their emotions. Yeah, totally. I mean, they, we are prone to different chemical influences. Obviously, women and men have different hormonal factors which shape our development and our uh, our upbringing and our internal workings and things like that but i think the you know it's quite probably quite a crude uh, metaphor to use but it's close enough i think it's good to think of men and women's brains as like being the same computer running slightly different software so like they could do different things but the underlying hardware is all there i mean the experiment i point at which i found really quite intriguing was the one where people subject were given testosterone and made to play this yeah. game and then you know, those who were given testosterone were more aggressive, more assertive, more, you know, more dominant in a typical testosterone way. Uh, except, truth is, they were told they were given testosterone, but they weren't. Uh, they were just given a placebo. Uh, whereas people who were told they were just given a neutral substance were given testosterone. They became more cooperative, more friendly, more willing to help others. Because the thinking is that testosterone 
is actually not about dominating and anger and violence. It's all about status. They make you want to be, you know, improve and enhance your status amongst others. But right. on many instinctive levels, humans are cooperative and we want to help each other. That's why we stick to our success. So the whole alpha male thing, that's the cultural creation and you know, nature is in humans is cooperation and collaboration. Yes. But in this subject, you know, people like people may think, oh, yeah, but still, you know, shows that men are just completely vulnerable to their hormones, but all the subjects were women in this experiment. So women given testosterone behaved more cooperatively, but women who were told they were given testosterone but weren't we became more aggressive and assertive. So so much of it is cultural and you know, learned yes. from the world around us that um way more than we think uh, than we realize so yeah that was that was quite eye-opening i think uh, yeah but I'm, you know, I, yeah. I, that's, I've, I've thought that you know and also because as i think i think you say in this book you know it's obviously even if there's even if there's men are taller than women there are some women are taller than some men uh you know <laughs> totally, so it, yeah. there's it, the, the world is such a variety of people and i think like it was a big thing in my like th- you know, just in my dating life, I think in my, by the time I got in my thirties, I kind of just I bet you've been told so much that women were a certain way in dating or wanted a certain thing, mm. and then the minute you just go, they're just people, and some of them will want this, and some of them will want that, and they want different things. I'll find one that wants the same thing as I want, uh, mm. <laughs> and then that'll be fine. <laughs> and you know, it completely turned my life around to realize to realize. I think when I did talking cock and got like. um uh, I, I, you know, luckily I kind of put out. I did uh, anonymous questionnaires to men and women, and the the female responses just made me realise. Oh, women kind of like men mostly on the, on the most part, <laughs> and women have had good experiences with men in the most part. And I think you, hmm. it is that cultural cultural thing. And women want to have sex, you know. Which again, I think you would in the eighties and nineties we were sort of told that, that we had to trick women oh, into yeah. wanting to have sex which yes. is quite it's, it's part of the reason I think the world turned out to be such a, yeah. uh, a, a terrible place. But yeah, it's it's sort of, so, it yeah. is, you know, it is it is it is very interesting. But if you write a book about how cats and dogs are the same then you're going to be in trouble, yeah. Dean. Because I have a cat and a dog, all... and I will happily cl- clarify that I will never write that book. <laughs> that's, have... that's all we comedians have left. Uh, while I'm being sli- yes. while I'm being slightly flippant, and you are a fan of Pixar films, and I don't think you mentioned this Pixar film. Mm. Um, how close did Inside Out get to? Which is a film all about emotions. Have you mm. seen it? I presume you've yes, seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how close do you think it got to getting our emotions right? Um, I did mention the book actually because it was um, when my daughter was watching it, laughing at the uh, at the Bing Bong scene. Hey, it's oh a, yes, it's a yes, yes. Wagon no, well, that's probably why it was in my head. Yeah, and I'm on the sofa just bawling. <laughs> <laughs> she was wondering why. Why are you crying at the at the rainbow wagon? <laughs> okay, yeah, um, yeah. It's it, you know, a lot of emotional scientists don't like it because it does make the, the thing of we all have these specific uh, uh, single emotions, these dominant emotions: fear, anger. Happiness, sadness, you know, and um, that's an old-fashioned view. Uh, still quite quite influential, but it's becoming less and less popular as the constructivist view comes into comes into play. Where it's like the, the argument is that we actually create every emotion wholesale in the moment, much like we create our perception or like a re- recreate our memories from, from stuff. So there's no, you know, like some people argue that there are, you have the, the the basic emotions like the keys and a piano, like these are the notes you can play. You can create symphonies of these. Whereas some argue it's more like you know, just like white noise and you can shape it. Uh, but aside from that, I do think uh, the, um, the you know, Inside Out did some really impressive work in terms of the science of it all. Like uh, aside from that, like there's lots of, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit which they keep doing. I don't think anyone's picked up on, but I noticed it. Whenever 
angle to do something, fear tries to stop him and he sort of punches him in the face. <laughs> and that's actually scientifically accurate because <laughs> anger overrules fear. It's, it, it causes um, uh, approach motivation as opposed to avoid motivation. So it, actually that's a scientifically valid bit of violence, if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> a rare phrase to be able to use. But uh, yeah, so they, they, they've cleaned on a deep dive there and the whole, um, you know, certain tunes stay in memory forever and they are... Uh, yeah, so it's it's aside from the whole we have these basic emotions, which is a I, I totally get why in terms of the narrative they'd have to do that. They can't yes. just have like this big blob of amorphous <laughs> emotions just talking all the time. But um, other than that, yes, I think it's a, it, it did a good job. Oh, that's good, very good. Uh, there's loads of little bits that I that I that I love. I just like the the three types of tears. I thought that was a really interesting mm. fact. We're talking about crying earlier, we should have brought it up then, but uh, the, <laughs> can you tell us about the three types of tears? I'd like to hear that yeah, again. Yeah, like that, that's sort of became um, explored into that uh, due to thinking of the, the physical aspect of emotions. I think people still think emotions as these totally abstract mental creations, but they have a profound physiological presence as well, uh, which is why they were studied in the first place, like by the ancient Greeks and things. So, yeah, we have, you know, we think of crying. Like, why do we cry? What's, what's the purpose in squirting liquid from your eyes when you're in an upset state? But there are lots of different types of tears. There's um, basal tears, which is a, this, the film which covers your eyes at all times with a very thin layer of liquid. There's reflex tears, which is where you cry when you've got dust or onion vapour in your eyes, like you're trying to flush it out. And psychoemotive tears, which are the tears produced by emotions. But those are actually chemically different to the other two. They contain certain types of hormones and other chemicals, which suggest they have a specific function rather than just be visible. So you can think, well, you're crying, that means they're sad, that means I'm it's more clear that they're sad. But then, you know, you cry when you're angry sometimes. You cry when you're happy, you have tears of joy, as they say. So, yeah, through the idea that we have different types of tears, like the emotions can fundamentally and chemically change the, the liquid being put up by your eyes, shows us how deeply intertwined in our physiology they are, how fundamental yeah. they are to, our, to everything we do. And I think it is, and I think like one of the messages of the book, which is which I think hopefully comes through to everyone, is just... Uh, you know, how we are this cooperative species and how we are reading mm. each other and reacting to each other and, and how we are like like a shoal of fish going through the world, mm-hmm. sort of Absolutely. looking after each other, you know, and I think that, that the with this social creature and our, that's the reason our emotions are so important. That's why we've got this far because those emotions are to help each other as as much as much as anything, as much as to you know, we, as you say, we're expre- we're showing people how we're feeling. We're passing on the information, warnings. If someone's angry or upset, it's you know, some something's going on that you have to react to. So it is it is this sort of social aspect of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Humans are much more. You know, we are labelled as an ultra social species. I mean, there are a lot of arguments say that we are the most social species on earth, and that's why we are as successful as we are. This whole dog eat dog you know alpha male type stuff is it's a it, that's a modern creation we, we, we haven't been like that our cooperation and collaboration is a huge part of how we exist and how we are and like the the evolution of that is really quite profound as well like the fact that the sort of i'm going to say that the mother daughter the mother mother baby bond where like a mother forms a deep emotional attachment with the the newborn baby uh that's obviously a really powerful emotional connection but at some point in human evolution that was like detached it didn't have to be just that anymore now we can apply it to friends partners you know loved ones and that makes us far more emotionally open to to the wider world and things like that so so yeah so like it's it's a really it's, it was a massive emotional 
uh, achievement and an evolutionary one as well. So yeah. to, not, to suppress it and deny it seems so counterproductive on every level that uh, <laughs> shouldn't do that, essentially. Well, look, there's, there's so much. I mean, we can't get through it all. There's, uh, in, <laughs> you can find in this book, you can find out why people are into BDSM and uh, why Fifty Shades of Grey is so popular, uh, why we'd want to hurt each other. It's uh, quite interesting. Uh, there's some good relationship advice, which I could take about um, <laughs> about not trying to solve my wife's problems all the time and just to, to listen yes, but... to her problems. I know, which I know I should do all the time, but I always try to come up with solutions, which makes her upset. So you're, you're 100% correct. Um <laughs> You know, and I think you do, it just it does make you think about your own, you know, and, and the, my own journey through various emotions. But you know, I used to get very angry when I was younger, and that, that hasn't happened. But now it, it's come back a little bit if I'm tired. And, oh yeah, of course. And yeah. the kid and, and the kids are acting up, or my wife's acting up. Uh, you know, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly that, or to be fair, if I'm acting yeah. up, uh, mm. the uh, you know the uh, those that kind of anger comes back, which is a sort of terrifying uh, thing when you when you are. When you when you can't control, or you know, when you when it when it takes you over and you lose control for a, for a little while, that sort of. Mm. But it, but it's very interesting to, to to hear about that, and and I think also the final chapter or the final part, the final section about uh, manipulation of emotions, which again feeds right back into uh, the whole COVID story and the conspiracy mm. theories that people are able to yeah, come up with, that, and a... the way <laughs> that that people can manipulate your emotions and, and get you into groups and you want to be in a group and and then you can start believing nonsense or, or Absolutely, things like that. Yes, it's uh, yeah. disconcerting how it seems to be so easily done, isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, but, you but, know, but, it, but that, well, A, you talk about how the, the uh, Facebook and everything have got their research wrong, which is interesting and uh, ascribing mm. emotions that are written as being the true emotions. But equally, I think it is a it is a warning that we are we are a manipulate we can be manipulated as a species as a result of, or especially you know especially things like fear and anger. Absolutely, <laughs> and, yeah. Well, all of them. I mean, it is it is this you know the minute you start thinking about it, it's just one of the it's one of those books again that just sends you off in lots of different directions. It'll remind mm. you of your own embarrassments that uh, that are hmm. that you remember that you remember because they're helpful to you <laughs> and, and you'll find out why your own embarrassments are uh, stay in your memory so much but it will it'll make you think about uh, you know your own reactions to stuff and um but also you know there's, there's a lot of important messages in there but there's there's a sort of positivity uh to it as well in in terms of of exactly what we're saying about uh how they yeah, bring, I mean, they bring this- yeah. yeah, I don't want to end up on doom and gloom. Like I think, you know, it's it was me coming at the end of my the end of it's never an end to it, but the the grief and loss and the, the yeah. emotional trauma of that and sort of figuring that out uh, for want of a better description. Yeah, because I think so many people have been in a similar situation given everything we went through and just life in general seems how it works. So yeah, I'll just sort of end it in a sort of very um, encouraging way. Like you know, yeah. these things happen, but they use why they happen. And hopefully by knowing that you can feel a bit better about it. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a really great subject for a book, and you and you do cut and uh, even though it's not what you might have thought you were going to do when you started yeah. it, it's yeah. uh, you do really cover everything. I think it's in such a great way. Mm. So I would uh, highly recommend uh, you buy Emotional Ignorance by Dr. Dean Burnett. Is there, is there anything um, you've been reading recently that you would like to recommend to our listeners that you didn't write? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <I'll share that. laughs> um, um, well, again, I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm uh, one of those sci-fi fans. You know, looking at me, you must be shocked <laughs> to hear that. But uh, one thing I'm, I'm sort of keep I'm pointing a lot of people to um, 
Martha Wells books, uh, the Murderbot series recently. It's okay. really quite funny, but it's um, sort of like a cheap security cyborg we got mass produced who sort of becomes independent and deals with anxiety <laughs> and, really, and social anxiety. So it's a really interesting take on. It ends up being a bit of a buddy cop comedy, uh, buddy comedy at times, and something like learning how to work up emotions from a completely new perspective. So, yeah, the, the Martha Wells the Murderbot series, I will always happily point people to for that. Okay, sort of fantastic. Um, look, mm. it's been lovely to uh, eat, to meet you virtually, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, despite the fact that that means, oh no, we can see each other, so we can pick up, uh, we can yes, pick uh, up cues from each other. Uh, cues from the chest up, yes. It's, it's, yeah, well, you, you don't want to see what's going on under the table. <laughs> Fair uh, point. But, Fair uh, yeah. But uh, and you you you've made me think maybe I should be using emojis in my online. If you can use the emoticons properly, that helps get your yeah. get yeah, your emotions thing, across yeah. the people, which is of course mm. the problem uh, of, uh, of of non visual communication online. Well, I say the problem mm. one of the tiny problems of, of a yeah, massive yeah, a massive huge problem. Quite a few uh, to get through there. There yes. are a few to get to. Uh, look, really, really love to talk to you, and, th- and good luck with the book, and good luck with all your books. Uh, do so much, check them out, really everyone. Uh, Doctor Dean mm. Burnett. Thank you also to Chris Evans. Uh, not that one. Thank you very much, Dean. Cheers, Richard. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening. Do come and see me on tour. RichardHerring.com slash gigs is the easiest way to find out where I'm going. And GoFasterStripe.com. You can buy books and downloads. And just tell your friends about the podcast. If you can't make it to the tour show, if you don't want to buy any products, then every time you listen to an advert, you're helping us make more podcasts with a very, very tiny micro payment. So thank you very much for that. I love you all. It's lovely to meet you on tour, by the way. Uh, hello to everyone who's said hello so far. I do come and say hello after the show if you if enjoyed it, if you want to see me. That'd be nice. You can get a selfie. I don't care. 
I'm a selfie whore. All right, see you soon.